is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. So, your host, Brandon Joe, my host, Dan. No, Nick, that's right, reversal on this one. Usually, Dan's sleeping in. Now, Nick is uh, well, actually not sleeping in. He is jet setting off to uh, our friends over in Europe. Well, he went to Dublin. He's there to watch Nebraska play a college American football game because that's exactly what the Irish citizenry had been asking for for all of these years, and he is happy to partake as a supporter. There's no, like what a gift, horrific Big Big Ten football. Like that's what you get, Dublin. Uh, enjoy the seven three final score. Uh, <laughs> that Nebraska will probably lose, and I don't think Nick's going for the football. I think he's going for the socialism, uh, or the socializing, I should say. I don't know where my head's at after that one. Anyways, Dan, we're going to do a little uh, little Friday, a little fun day Friday here. Uh, just going to chat the UCL draw, which dropped today. I don't know if you if you heard or you're paying attention, but uh, your boy was on the old Chelsea FC. Uh, oh, it's a Twitter big deal. Big deal, today. Brandon, in the building. Big deal, Brandon, you know. Just on that official Chelsea FC, Chelsea FC and USA Twitter spaces, reacting to the match live, not being fed updates about any of the teams to help him sound more intelligent. No, no, doing it all on his own. All by his lonesome. No support infrastructure whatsoever. You think I needed to know the leading score of Salzburg for that Twitter spaces? Like, you were on a different level. <laughs> Some of Surface, us call it research. And yeah, exactly. Way too way too much. Uh, but anyways, we're going to be talking about the Champions League draw. Well, let's talk about the League Cup draw, which probably a lot of you forgot happened the previous day. And then obviously a few questions from our lovely, lovely listeners in... Patreon. So, kicking it off, Tech Tiger asks, are you drinking Carabao for this pod? A, why? B, Dan's drinking Liquid Death with a little lime. So, he's clearly Correct. getting after it. I'm sorry, are they a sponsor? That's what you do on a Thursday afternoon right before the end of the workday. Have we prospected them yet? <laughs> you should. Yeah, all right. Well, well, hopefully that DM to Topo Chico worked out. Techie, no one's drinking Carabao, all right? Get it together. The only people that I know drink Carabao are the crazies in, in Milwaukee, uh, and they've earned that that title and that right uh, as they do Carabombs on match days. But look, the Champions League draws back. It's a big-time tournament, big-time competition, big-time teams in it, and Spurs. And so uh, I think it's really important that we cover off uh, kind of what happened. It was pretty straightforward. I don't think there's too much drama uh, the group of death is very obvious, Dan, but Chelsea, we can just go ahead and kick it off. Group E with AC Milan from pot one, ourselves from pot two, RB Salzburg uh, from Poland in pot three, and Dinamo Zagreb uh, from Croatia in pot four. Initial kind of reactions as far as that went. I know we had a lot of like predicted groups, and you're the psycho that usually wants the all the big teams, bring them on. Well, I... Unfair <laughs> characterization of You're what on I record. want. I say that you have to play the best to win the Champions League, and so you're going to have to play them eventually, so why not play them as early as possible in the elimination phases, in the knockout stages, in the group stage? You're hoping for a couple of you know, cream puffs, effectively, to beat up on so that you can advance very easily and put yourself in the most advantageous position so that by the third of the matches that you know third fourth match you potentially have a enough points lead where you can basically forget about playing a full strength 11 and fielding some of your 
you have players, some of your bench, in a match that really is dead rubber for you, but means a whole lot more for every other team. And I think we got a group that is going to challenge us. I would project that we should finish atop this group as we make our way into the knockout phases of the Champions League. I think Milan is the one that I think will give us the most challenge. Uh, you know, I don't know which team Liao will be playing for at that point. Who knows? Could be us, could be them. But, yeah, I mean, we always seem to get uh, Zagreb. We always get a chance to play them. And Salzburg is going to be a fun matchup, too, I think. You know, I, I don't think you're really saying anything too crazy, obviously. I don't also think it really matters if we finish one or two these days. The draws are crazy just because you're, you know, finished atop your group these days. The, usually the the one and two seeds are so competitive or the two teams that advance, you know, it's not really an advantage anymore. This competition, if you think about over the last 10 years, has actually significantly increased its level of competition. Uh, you know, like I said, if before if you got top of your group, you're pretty much in the, 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 the next round. Like you got through the round of 16, you're right to round of eight. You're like, all right, we're going to play a puff team. Not anymore, especially when you got Bayern, Barca, Inter, and Group C with Pilsen the group of death, as I talk about, you don't really want to play either of those teams that come out of that group. So like I said, you kind of are playing a game uh, from first or second. You just have to advance. Your point about it being challenging, I think this is like the perfect amount of challenge for this team. This team needs to be challenged in the group stage to show they can overcome adversity so they can have some meaningful wins that actually helps boost confidence and send messages across to the other teams in Europe and maybe even the Premier League. But I don't think it's that threatening, right? And I think that's kind of where I'm happy overall with this draw. I think that if we could have switched spots with Atleti in Group B and been with Porto, Leverkusen, and Club Bruges, I would have been really happy about that. Same thing, Group D, if you could switch to Tottenham and go Frankfurt, Sporting, and Marseille. Other than that, like there's not a whole lot of groups I'd rather be in, which I think is a good place to be. Um, so hurry up and buy Leal, weaken a rival, uh, a group stage rival, and and do some some exciting business, I think. So yeah, I don't know, Group C, anything else you want to touch on? I mean, as we look at the English teams, because that's all we really care about as well, is like how quickly can we dump the English teams out of this competition? Well, you don't necessarily want them to go out super fast because, again, it's a coefficient type of element as well that gets the spots assigned. So the amount of immediate qualification or automatic qualification does come from performance or historic performance in European competitions. And so, I mean, I, I think as you run through them, I think Liverpool got a pretty favorable group if i were looking at them i mean they, they're playing ix napoli and rangers obviously there was a lot of thought that how cool would it be for chelsea and rangers with the connection between those two sides playing one another i don't think that would have been the case but who knows um but kind of moving on i think tottenham got a very favorable draw i think the frankfurt sporting and marseille is a very winnable and toppable group for them and then looking at Man City with Sevilla, Dortmund, the Erling Holland Derby, and then Copenhagen, that felt extremely favorable. So, yeah, looking at this, I feel like we didn't get the worst, um, but we did not get the best of the English draws in, for the competition this year. It's Champions League. Anything can happen. Um, what I was looking ahead to... Um, 
was the fixtures around the matches, right? Because I think that's really important when Huge. you kind of look at uh, what are what are the chances that maybe we can can sneak through and some things like that. So as you kind of as I was browsing through them, I think the hardest kind of set of matches we had was uh, the beginning of November. We're coming off Brighton before Arsenal. And you got Man City in the EFL Cup. Spoiler to the next session. Uh, you know, you're coming off Brentford before United, I believe. Otherwise, it's like, you know, West Ham and Fulham, Palace and Wolves. Like, I feel pretty good that we're not squeezed pre-World Cup, Dan. Yeah, that to me is the really interesting thing that we lose sight of is that it's the World Cup year season started earlier. We've got the end of the effective first half of the season that will be coming up in November. And the rush to get all these matches in is going to cause a lot of challenges in being able to fulfill your squad requirements with the players you have at disposal or your best 11. And again, if you want to be the very best, if you want to compete in these competitions, you need to have a deep squad, as we have seen in the last weekend Chelsea versus Leeds that still needs a little bit of fixing at this point to have that deep squad to be able to rotate I think it is going to challenge Tuchel and the team to be up for all of these matches I think we have seen the mentality of this side shift a little bit and it's really sometimes the bigger matches that we get up for and a midweek match or a weekend match right after a really tense or a really big battle between multiple sides I, I think the order of the matches, you would hope that we get Milan done and out of the way, I would say, earlier and kind of know where your similar level comp team has performed, which then I think could dictate how we approach both the Salzburg and, and Dynamo matches as well. I think that's what you would hope for is to get the more difficult either away part of it done so you're doing less travel right before the World Cup element those are things that I would consider just the logistical things that are going to start to make things very difficult for the team. I feel like the last couple of seasons we've had like our hardest match is like the back-to-back fixture, you know, Juventus yeah, like last the Juventus. season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even a couple other seasons. And we've had kind of the weakest teams as like the beginning and the last fixture. I mean, that's ideal, right? I think we like went to, I don't remember. There's been some teams, right? Where maybe it was like Lille, I think was even like the first and last fixture. Uh, we've had some situations, so if you can kind of pick up uh, Pilsen in the first uh, leg, you know, kind of get warm. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's a group of death. Uh, Dynamo in the first leg, uh, Salzburg second, and that way you're really ready for Milan. That's that's ideal as well. But look, just struggled against Leeds. You know what Leeds and Salzburg have in common, Dan? <laughs> they actually have a lot in common, unfortunately. <laughs> the Marsh effect. Yeah. And so if that's the kind of team they put out, which high effort, high press, um, you know, they they pump out players. Holland came from there as well. There's they've got some some up and coming players. You know, they're definitely a feeder system into RB Leipzig. Um, A lot of people go from there to other places in Germany and around Europe. So that's where they always have a cutting edge. You know, Mr. Stick was asking that in discord. It's like, how are we going to drop points in this? Well, you underestimate these teams from Poland and Croatia, right? This is exactly how we do it. And Salzburg is going to make life difficult on us. 
But again, if we're able to show up on the day and, and play the way Chelsea know how to, we should be able to take care of business. But, you know, Zagreb and Salzburg, they're going to want to make a name for themselves. They're going to want to, you know, be the giant killers and get all the media love and the attention online. And so they're going to be really up for these matches. And we've seen Chelsea struggle against lesser teams in the Champions League. Sometimes we play down to the opposition level and they don't really get up for it. Uh, but then they go and smack Juventus. So I think that is a concern that we have with this team sometimes. And heaven forbid we have an injury crisis in the group stage. Usually we seem to have a lot more issues in the knockout stages. But um, those are just kind of some of the crazy things that could happen uh, in the in these group stages, but the Champions League is full of drama, and that's why it works. Yeah, I would love to see. I mean, it would just be so perfect if Tottenham got kicked out in the early days of it. But their squad looks strong enough to do some damage in the Premier League. Obviously, there's an annual Harry Kane injury that we need to pencil in at some point. I imagine most um, Chelsea supporters are hoping that that is not during the World Cup period. Um, even if they uh, do not want him to do well for his club team, I'm sure they would be very happy to see him do well for England in the World Cup uh, against America, which, uh, you know, could happen. I think another fun avenue could be Group C with Bayern, Inter, and Barcelona. And if Barcelona were to get bounced, particularly after taking Lewandowski to... All the other shenanigans that they've pulled off this summer, that would be super fantastic. It would be really great, actually, if Lukaku could uh, help make that happen. Like, hmm. that would be a nice thing to have happen. Yeah, because that's what we're going to do, right? We're really going to, you know, rely on him for much of anything. Look, we want to make sure Inter have the money to finalize the deal next summer. So let's hope that they do well uh, in at least their group stage competition. All right. Well, the last thing we haven't touched on is uh, a lot of familiar faces in this AC Milan fixture. Uh, you could even say Zlatan is because he played for Manchester United. We had to deal with him when he was in the Premier League for a hot second. Uh, but the bigger ones coming from Millhouse, you know, based on asking, based on all the players, new club versus old club matchups, how rigged do y'all think the Champions League draws are? The, the Milan one, I think, is pretty obvious. You could have had the Inter with the Lukaku drama. Um, I think Paris and Juventus really isn't that big for me, but the Bayern-Barca history and drama that we've had with them is a huge one. And then to just shit post Inter into that one is just, I think, a bit hilarious. Atleti, Porto, and Leverkusen, I think there's going to be some fireworks there. But, um, you know, focusing on the AC Milan, that seems to be the biggest amount of overlap with Fukao Tomori. Um and uh, uh, Olivier Giroud, our, our big, beautiful Frenchman. Well, you have Silva's history with Milan as well. I mean, you, uh, you, I'm sure he's hoping that the, you know, it's not uh, too terrible a return. I think uh, he seems to be beloved everywhere he's played, though, so I'm sure it's going to be a pretty happy one for him. I, I know that we'll be, we'll be happy for them for the minutes leading up to the kickoff and then we'll be very happy for them at the end that they played a good game and that they did not get injured but uh from minute zero to minute 90 uh it is absolutely uh chelsea above all other things and uh, hoping that uh, we get our business done i think we tend to be we are the biggest enemy to our success in this competition 
how we plan for it, how we rotate players, the type of tactics we use. Tuchel has proven over the last two plus years now that he is very capable of getting it done in Europe and outside of one crazy long pass that just took us apart and going down through a series of individual errors, I don't think it was a far cry last season to say that Chelsea were likely a better team in most of their matches and could have won back-to-back Champions Leagues. So with a little bit of retooling, with potentially one or two more signings across the line between now and the end of the window, could we have enough to go deep again in another run? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Two goes a cup competition manager. Olivia said on the spaces today that um, getting knocked out of the Champions League last season was the was the first and only time he has not made a cup final with Chelsea. So hard to bet against him, even for the Champions League. He just sets up his team so well. I can't believe we lost to Madrid. Benzema doing freaking Benzema things, but um, we'll have to pull it off. So excited. I think there's a lot of energy and just buzz about the Champions League draw. Um, obviously, the League Cup draws the day before. Not nearly the same excitement or coverage, and understandably so, but it's fun to see these big teams back there. It's fun to see some new ones. You know, the fact you have Celtic and Rangers both back in it. Um, you know, you've got teams like uh, Maccabi Haifa from Israel, Really like Copenhagen's back. We're really like stretching our legs. Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, Ukrainian team in it. Uh, you know, William came from there. There's just a lot of Brazilians that have come out of that team and they have a big, you know, European pedigree, even it hasn't been for winning a lot. Marseille, they have a huge pedigree. Uh, and I'm excited to see what Napoli and Ajax had to do because, you know, they've made a lot of noise in the history. I just don't know if they're going to be able to keep it up, but that's the excitement of the Champions League. So, um, yeah, let us know what you guys think of the draw. Let us know what you think of Chelsea's group. Let us know what you think uh, the other groups, especially the English teams and how they're going to fare because we got to keep our eye around the, the Champions League group stages of those English teams as we look at the league. But we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hit up our sponsors. Uh, we appreciate them for financially supporting the show. We're back. We're going to go into the League Cup draw. More tournament action coming at you. Be right back. All right, Dan, the mighty, mighty League Cup draw. It happened. It was a flash in the pan. Next thing you know, fixtures were announced. Teams were playing games, getting knocked out. And, of course, we drew the city of Manchester. What a draw. I mean, that was not where I was hoping it would go. And when you look at this actual, in the the macro of how it broke down, the amount of Premier League matchups is pretty wild when you think about uh, you know, relegation contestants, Manchester United and Aston Villa going head-to-head against one another. That's interesting. Arsenal versus Brighton playing one another, two of the better sides to start the season. You have Tottenham playing uh, one of the biggest spenders in world football this summer, Nottingham Forest. And you have um, Newcastle playing Crystal Palace. I mean, there are a lot of Wolves, really... Leeds, Bournemouth, Everton, Man City, Chelsea, It's interesting. Obviously. New, it's, and they get like Liverpool gets Derby, awesome. That's really good for them. Derby, who are in administration, Rooney has left the building, cannot pay wages. Leicester City get Newport County, which they ex- very very much needed. West Ham by November eighth, they might get their first win of the season against Blackburn Rovers. 
Uh, Brentford's going to smash Gillingham, uh, and I think that's kind of like some of the the bigger uh, tilted ties. Um, so it, I was shocked to see how many Premier League matchups there were, and I would say this looks a hell of a lot more rigged than <laughs> the Champions League draw. Well. Chelsea and City have done a good job advancing to the finals or the semifinals of this competition on a pretty regular basis. City um, won it, what, three years in a row? Yeah. So this has kind of been City's competition in recent memory, and it was only us avoiding that last time and it being a VAR slash arm away from being decided in regular time with a victory to us versus uh, one of our multiple matches that went to extra time with Liverpool last season. I am kind of not really caring a whole lot about this one. And while I would say, yes, it's great to win every trophy and it'd be great to compete at them. I don't know in a side that's going to have potentially upwards of five to six different starting players who have gotten bedded in at the very end of August, heading into the beginning of September, and there's an international break in there, that you're going to have the time to really get this side firing on all cylinders to be take you know to take on City. It's not to say something crazy couldn't happen, an injury to Holland, a short-term injury to De Bruyne, who does find himself out of playing occasionally. You know, he's their talisman. Maybe we do gel faster. I just think this match may come a tad too early. And I guess the question is, based upon all the other fixtures, City will also be thinking about their run for the title. If they are potentially running ahead of it or running away with it at that point, that could be a situation. Uh, at this point, Arsenal will have, have had to play real, real football against real Premier League competition. So you would imagine maybe they aren't strangleholding the top of the table. And City will have had their Champions League games to consider too. And so all of these teams are going to have those considerations, you know, of our kind of caliber, right? Liverpool will maybe have a little less calculus to do, but for City and Chelsea, it's going to be a matter of how much do both of these sides really want to go for it? And do you want the added fixtures if you're not going to win it? <laughs> Which is the, the question mark. How about this? It's an early test to find out what kind of like metal we have in this are we ready this early in the season are we not do we have uh kind of the team to stand up to multiple kit you know, competitions or not you know these matches aren't gonna be played till november right we're looking at november 8th uh is kind of the the weekend set aside for for these matches which is also right smashed in between match day three of the champions league which is on the fourth and fifth of october so at that point, you'll play a Premier League game, you'll play a midweek uh, Champions League game, and then you're going to come right into this one. There's going to have to be rotation. We're going to have to see what the squad depth is. And, you know, PRP in the Discord says, with Ampadu seemingly leaving, and Broya as well, which I think the Broya leaving is cooled a little bit. What youngster stepped into the squad versus City? Any notable names you want to see? And I think the good news is, Dan, is that one, one positive if you want to take out of this, of playing City, is that they're in the same position position as Chelsea. They're going to have Champions League matches yeah. right before it. They're going to have Premier League on the backside of it. And so they need to rotate as well. And I think Pep has shown 
he puts a lot of confidence in rotating his squad. And he says, you need to be good enough. I don't care if it's Chelsea or Newport County, go do the business and they're going to rotate as well. So kind of with that being said, if you look at the academy and some of the younger players that you might be able to pull from, it's going to be hard to see Lewis Hall out there. It's going to be hard to see potentially Amari Hutchinson, a Xavier Simons, a Harvey Vale, Sunsup Bell, Jaden Wareham, Malik Mothersill, Charlie Webster, because it's still City. But I'm sure if Phil were here, he'd say, they already play the City youngsters, so what's the point? It's just like a glorified dev squad game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you would potentially maybe see a few fringe players, but I don't know. Tuchel hasn't really ever, at least I'm trying to recollect it in this exact moment without looking back on it, ever fielded a super young lineup when it has been introducing youngsters into a league cup game or a match. It's usually like one surrounded with 10 senior players or two with maybe one coming in off the bench. I don't think there's a likelihood that this lineup will be, and again, injury could change that. How we're doing in other competitions could change that. I don't foresee this being a weak lineup from us. It may be one from City because Pep does tend to do some oddball things and maybe some of that juju that we held over him in the Champions League season where we beat him multiple times in a month and then came back to take the trophy in Porto. Maybe Tuchel can sprinkle some of that dust over this match and get it done again. I just don't foresee us playing one young player in this match in a starting 11 that was not a a regular starter um you know kind of a cat whether it's academy grad or kind of someone we've signed this summer would be a lot to me i i, w- I would take absolutely take the under if it was like one 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 and a half you're taking the under all day that's kind of his mo with that i mean i think the two you could probably try to throw out there be maybe a chuckle mecca right probably yeah. connor if Amps is around, Ampadu, even maybe, and even at that point, it's still City, so you're like, how much do you trust they rotate? Um, I'm not sure you're going to see Cassidy in this team, but those would be the types of players that I think are at least sniffing around an opportunity like this. And again, if it were Newport County, they'd probably be in, but it's not. And so Tuco has to take the level of competition, the level of opponents into consideration, and we'll have to see. I mean... Is Keppa still going to be here? Is it going to be Keppa? Or do you think it might even be Vetinelli? Who knows at this point? It's just, it's impossible to talk about a Chelsea team in November because the transfer window is still open and Chelsea are so active. Uh, a lot's going to happen. So uh, a little tough to predict on that one, I think. Um, Snack says, for years, Liverpool will get booted from the Carabao Cup and my Liverpool friends would claim... Klopp was punting that cup to save the team for the Premier League or Champions League, etc. I personally think they were full of shit. They seemed happy to win it last year, those effers. Question, given the current state of our team and the question marks surrounding ins, outs, injuries, would you punt the Carabao Cup to save the team for other cups and leagues? I mean, you talked about that as a strategy, Dan, um, because you already are assuming we're going to lose this city, so... Uh, you want to elaborate on that maybe a little bit? I don't think anything is a given. So while we got a favorable draw in the Champions League, that's no guarantee that we show up. 
I really hope we do, because otherwise we are going to a very, very dark timeline that I do not want to think about. That is a, a bad Chelsea multiverse to exist in. However, I do I see the logic of it, right? Like you only have a finite number of individuals in your squad, only a finite number of minutes to hand around. You like the ability to leverage certain sets of players because they develop a camaraderie. They have an understanding of how each other plays on the pitch, so you don't want to have too much rotation. The biggest maybe question mark here that we didn't dive into is, is N'Golo Conte healthy and is Mateo Kovacic healthy? Because those are the two people in a very thin midfield that their availability is going to dictate success both in the Premier League and in these cup competitions this season. And if you're coming down to a situation where we're not, if you're getting 50-50 of N'Golo Conte, he's available 50% of the time, you're probably risking him on a Champions League game and not on a Carabao Cup game. That would be my pragmatic way of thinking about it. But I think that Tuchel and Chelsea want to go win everything. So I do think there are some gambles they'll take. I just think that, player availability place uh, play uh, place and peace is going to make the biggest difference on if they go hard in this competition or not you know city have uh, had an interesting start of the season not absolutely flying either so what uh, kind of you know again november 8th is a long ways away a lot can happen uh at that point so you know look maybe man city punts it based on their champions league group stage results where they're at in the league I mean, if we're all chasing Arsenal, we all need to collectively punt the Carabao Cup and just focus on knocking them off their perch. But I just I just don't see that happening, you know. So that's a fantasy world that my Arsenal coworker uh, wanted to talk to me about yesterday. And I, ah, sorry, I had a thing I had to get to. Sorry, Zach. I just didn't have time to listen about Arsenal at the top of the table. So uh, anyways, over to the Patreon mail- mailbag. Dan, how does one get a question in a Patreon mailbag? Well, it'd be a patron. Oh, that's a pretty that's a pretty easy question you're asking, and I appreciate a softball to start this area you, of the you episode. It. Look, you know, you're, you're rounding me into form, which I appreciate. You know, I feel like you're you're working me back into it. Look, uh, Patreon's a great way to support the podcast. It helps us uh, to do fun things in terms of booking guests and getting people onto the show, and so uh, yeah, and then it has a great community associated with it too. The transfer window thread this year has been popping. The Matchday Madness threads have been popping. The travel and cooking threads have been doing great. And so there's a whole lot of conversation going on in there, not just related to football. It's a fun little family and community that we have there, and uh, we appreciate every single individual who separates a few dollars of their hard-earned money to uh, help support us and say thanks for producing the show. Do you know we have a horticulture thread? We do, yes. Yeah, we don't need to get into the details of what kind of horticulturing they're doing. Move along, move along. Uh, Cody first up says, what signing do Chelsea really need to make before this window ends? I mean, there's only two real answers at this point. I mean, you can consider, I think think in the last pod, Dan, we kind of considered Fofana done. There's some positive tweets from Fabrizio and, uh, some other journalists about another bid, uh, that I think takes the total to around 75 and maybe higher depending on how the add-ons go. Um, you know, Brendan Rodgers has come out and said, hey, you're probably not going to see good old Wes until the window's over uh, because he does not have the mental state to play for them right now. 
Also, he said that they need to sign or sell players before they sign any. So they are struggling, which, again, really, really, really strengthens Chelsea's position. Obviously, not going to happen before the match. Um, so I'm going to assume a defender comes in. And at that point, you're very obviously looking at a striker or attacker, uh, probably striker, someone who scores goals. Uh, but I'm still big up in it for a CDM. If you saw my TikTok, the three signings that Chelsea still need, uh, CDM is the big one for me. You just talked about N'Golo Conte being on the 50-50 uh, contract, and the team really falls apart without him there to clean up. So um, I don't know if you want to talk about Ndidi, Rice, you know, some other person that's out there that I don't know because I haven't been in the transfer rumors thread, but I just, I feel like a CDM is so crucial to the way this team play. I mean, will the attack struggle at times? Sure. But at least you're not conceding. We have to stop conceding and digging, having to dig ourselves out. It's easier for an attacker to score at zero, zero than it is losing one or two, nothing. Yeah. When you look at what our squad could look like, if you do sign Fafana, right. That allows you to push Reese forward. So you have Reese's right wing back. You've got Fafana as your right center back. You have Silva playing centrally and you have Koulibaly on the left. You have Kukurella playing on the left wing back side. And then you have potentially, I think what could happen is if you do sign like an Aubameyang, you put Sterling on the left. If you were to sign someone like Liao, which would be mind blowing in terms of a getting that deal done in the last week of the window seems very far fetched. But who knows? We've done some fun things before. You have him on the right. Yeah, potentially Obama Yang Central. Then you might push someone like Mason into midfield. Um, and maybe that's where a little bit of that creativity can come from. And then you have to kind of rotate between Kovacic and Conte. And then you kind of just figure out the midfield. If we're really still zeroed in on Rice as the primary option 1A and we don't want to settle that could be kind of where it is and then it's a little bit of a makeshift midfield for the season which or maybe till january doesn't feel great but the profile of player seemingly just isn't there for chelsea the player the player that chelsea wants just doesn't seem to be out there and i think that's what we're getting from the indication of all the links you're seeing with the news coming out of chelsea like a bit of a sieve and every bid or every dollar that we're looking to invest is just kind of there and people are aware of it or, I don't know, I mean, crazier things have happened. Do you try Cheb Chalaba in the defensive midfield role? Do you potentially put Reese there because he's done it before uh, on his loan spells? Like, there there are some positional kind of options that you could get into there if you can't make that midfield signing. I just feel like it it's an area that is way shallower than most areas in the pitch. I, I would say striker and a, a, a true striker and midfield are the most shallow areas on the pitch i think defender if you didn't sign fafana is it the worst thing in the role of world of tread chalaba stays and plays right right center back no not at all i don't think there's a big discussion here right like you either lock it up or you bang in a ton of goals and the striker market doesn't look flush with options um I, there's I don't even really see like the fringe ones. Remember back in the day when like that Torino striker 
uh, you know, was like up and coming. He was Belotti. Yeah, Belotti. Potentially going to go to Roma. Yeah, yeah, you know, smashed in like thirty some goals. You know, usually there's someone in, in at Inter or, or AC. You know, it's just not there. You know, AC Milan lead their line. They've got like Slatan and Olivier Giroud. I mean, they are way on the old spectrum, but they're they're able to get enough done for them. So, you know, it, even PSG, they have too many attackers, but they're over, they're imbalanced and like unable and no, and they pay so much that they can't move anyone off their books. It's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough time right now. Holland was the de facto option. Chelsea tried to move a year earlier and get Lukaku and figure they could have him for three, four seasons and it didn't work out. And there quite obviously was no plan B. Um, and, you know, I think that that uh, that is a situation that we're not the only ones in, but we got to figure it out and and fast. So um, instead of that, like I said, I'd rather focus on tightening it up at the back and make, being us making us harder to beat. So um, we'll have to see. Blue London nineteen oh five says, "Would a trophyless season that includes a top four finish and Champions League quarterfinal exit be acceptable to you guys?" I don't think so. I think if the standard is Chelsea is about winning trophies and winning championships, I don't foresee a scenario where the Premier League is winnable in this season. But you got to feel like we are good enough in a single game to beat most sides in Europe. So to me, I would anticipate whether it's the FA Cup or the Champions League, would be much happier with the latter than the former, you should be able to get a trophy every season at Chelsea. Like, that is just the full stop. You should be able to do it. Even in a rebuilding year, I think that that is well within the realm of of reachable and doable because it's just, you know, you, you think about it again. It's a math of how many goals you need to score actually to advance. You know, you if you win enough games if you win if you get nine points probably 10 you did enough to get out of your group stage and then you really need to win one nothing uh, a couple of times to advance so if we can be defensively resolute as you said brandon we can get pretty far in that competition without being the most exciting team to watch and i will take dull and trophies over exciting and exits at earlier stages any day of the week I just think that it would be a little bit of a letdown, particularly after last season where you're walking away with the golden badge in the center of your shirt as Club World Cup champions and then also you know, uh, winning the, the Super Cup as well. So I, I think you have to get something, ha- some type of hardware. I think the Primatic says it's enough. I think you will fully know the level of this team uh, when the transfer window is closed and we have a final roster. You know, there's still a lot of transition to be done. There is a chance that we don't get Fafana. There's a chance that we don't get Aubameyang and that we don't get Leao and we don't get a lot of other people. And you're kind of left with a bit of an interesting, you know, lineup. Is Calm Hudson Roy going to be here? Is Trevo still going to be here? Um, is Ampadu going to be here? Is Christian going to be here? Is Ziesch going to be here? I think, like, if you end up moving a lot of players off the books, Ziesch, Barkley, um, if Callum goes on loan, uh, if Ethan goes on loan, and you actually kind of thin out the squad, then I think you have to reset expectations a little bit. If we lose our squad depth because of the World Cup, then you have to reset expectations. 
on paper at the beginning of the season, Chelsea's remit is going to be top four, one trophy, make it happen. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see kind of what their two, three year plan is if they, I don't know, maybe take a step backwards, but it doesn't feel like it, it seems like bully wants to cook. Dude wants to go this season. He doesn't want to wait. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's maybe could be pinned as year one is not losing ground and staying in Europe to be the beneficiary of champions league money versus Europa league money to year two getting deeper and integrating some of the incredible youth talent that Neil Bath and the Academy are picking up over this window. And maybe year three is serious competition, you know, serious contender in every competition. Like I don't, we haven't heard it explained that way, but if you were going to hypothesize about like a multi-year plan, particularly as we do all of this without a director of football, without maybe a complete operation, like this is, uh, uh, you know, you don't want it blowing up like the Death Star, but it's like Death Star 2. It's not fully built yet uh, and it does not is not at the full extent of its powers, but it could still do a lot of damage. We could still we could still rough some teams up. Mm, yeah. Um, cool Beans has a dangerous question. Said, if you had unlimited power and could change or add or remove a rule from the game, what would you do? Look, there are so many rules. Laws, Oof. technically, if you want to get into it, they're technically laws yeah. of the game. Um, unlimited power. I mean, again, so you're saying if I was set bladder for a day, kind of a thing. Um, look, I'm not. I'm not really into to doing something crazy and radical. It'd probably be something silly, like you take off your shirt to celebrate. You don't need to get a caution. Like I get it. You may not like it. It's unsportsmanlike. I think the rule is technically like inciting opposite fans. Tough shit. You got scored on deal with it you don't want to get have to yell at an opposition player then ha- then cheer your team on better don't suck uh you score goals are so f- like few and far from in this game like that's the biggest slant against soccer and so when you finally get one we're gonna say don't celebrate it like come on this isn't the no fun league then i fell over here so there's two that come to mind for me offside screw the- it <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your offsides. I think centralized um, officiating. Like, I, I think officiating is just going to be the common one probably until it gets fixed. But, I mean, you look at the way the NFL doesn't always get it right. But the way they have improved officiating over the last 20 plus years, particularly with the integration of technology to find a way to better analyze it. And look, no, it's different, right? There are certain enactable standards in football with 32 teams in stadiums in the way they're set up and the way that they're constructed that is really difficult to pull off in every single footballing stadium across even just all of England, not even to say all of Europe. But centralizing the operations, you know, panels of multinational judges across multiple leagues to standardize the operation and make it something that's controlled by like a actual like governing body for the sport instead of it being independent associations per country uh who are helping to manage the game i i i know it's not just an us thing right it's not just a chelsea thing it's not just a premier league thing it is a how do you help this wonderful sport modernize officiating and make it 
or allow it to achieve a higher potential than where it is today, where clear and obvious things continue to be missed, to be mismanaged, to not be addressed. I mean, again, like we're we're seeing uh, Howard Webb come in to the Premier League next season to help with the officiating. Like there's clear indications that things need to be done. There's things that have been done in MLS with VAR that are positive that maybe make their way into the English game. But that's, I think, an easy one to point to. I mean, I think the the fun one might be like what happens if you went to a you know a clock that was only running when the ball was in play to try and manage time wasting differently. Like that's a fun one that I think has some good like theory work behind it. Um, but yeah, I actually think that would be interesting from like a injury standpoint too. Like if you're not playing needless minutes for time wasting. <laughs> And like, you know, you were putting less time on the body. Might that actually make it a healthier game or safer game as well? I don't know. But that would probably be a fun one to explore more in more detail. I just don't have enough data to say that's the number one one. I mean, they've done the they've done the homework on it. It's 60 minutes is the average amount of time that the game is actually live. The ball is in play, um, which is kind of crazy. I think if you told anyone that match is going from 90 to 60 minutes, uh, people would struggle, you know, because it is such a long-held tradition. I, you know, it's it, there's a lot out there. Let I don't know. Let us know what you guys think. If there's anything that you're out there, you're like been bugging for. Uh, obviously, I think there's a lot of officiating things. Uh, baseball usually tie goes to the runner type of thing. Offsides is supposed to be tie goes to the attacker. It doesn't happen a lot of times, but um, you know, I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say on that. But this is it. This is what we've got. A little Champions League react little league cup draw and a little bit of spice from the mailbag but we just want to connect again one last time this week before we headed in the weekend again like i said we got lesser city uh saturday morning at the traditional 3 p.m kickoff uk time so do the math uh wherever you are it'll be 9 a.m for me dan will be sleeping in because it's not 4 a.m for him oh look it's uh an opportunity to see a side without fafana to see a side potentially without madison who has apparently had a little bit of a twinge and you just hope it doesn't have some crazy end result to it that uh, sees Chelsea sharing points or dropping points. So uh, let's just go get a dub. Let's go get an easy dub. Easy dub, hand, hand him the check, take the player, and just run to the next fixture. Leave him with you. Bring him over. Leave him there. We got him. We got Wes. All right? Just, just drop him off. But anyways, we'll come back at you. I'll get another YouTube uh, video reaction up if you missed that. I've been starting to do uh, post-match video uh, reactions. And then, um, you know, the pod will come out Monday per usual. So uh, more content coming at you all, as always. If you missed it, go listen to Adam Newson. Uh, we did a transfer update with him earlier this week. Just lots of content for you. Uh, we did even did a, a Chelsea Women's Academy update as well. Uh, we're covering it all. So make sure you stay subscribed. Share with a friend if you would. Leave the reviews. Like we said, join us on Patreon. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.